This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. Today's episode will bring clarity to supplements. Some of us don't take enough while others take too many. Additionally, we are often confused by which brand or formulation is right for us, as well as the proper dosing. Suzanne Munson, the VP of Product Development and Compliance at Fairhaven Health, answers these questions. My background is really in whole foods nutrition. So I now work strictly in dietary supplements, but my nutrition background is really based in whole foods, cooking, uh, that kind of thing. And I, so kind of an interesting path to get there. I, my interest in health started just after I graduated from college. I left my small liberal arts college with a degree in political science and economics. And it didn't have a solid plan for what was to come next. But with some advice from professors and others, the next logical step for me seemed to go to graduate school in politics. I moved back home and got a part-time job at Starbucks and found myself with lots of time to read. So as I was kind of researching graduate schools, I was also reading for pleasure, which I hadn't done in four years of being in school. I picked up the book called Diet for a Small Planet by Francis Moore LePay um, and also Diet for a New America by John Robbins, who is interesting the heir to the Baskin and Robbins fortune. And both of those books discuss how our health and our environment and uh, even issues of income equality and food scarcity are impacted by our food system. So for me, it was like this real aha moment. It was my politics and economics background all seen through the lens of food, and I was hooked. So uh, I, that started me down the path towards nutrition. I learned how to cook brown rice and soak beans uh, and um, kind of moved towards a more plant-based diet and, that, um, and started looking instead at degrees in nutrition, advanced degrees in nutrition instead of in politics and government. And that led me to Bastyr University, which is one of the leading naturopathic medicine universities in the U.S., uh, I there I earned a degree, a master's degree in nutrition, and immediately after that I started working in the natural products industry, where I gained experience in dietary supplements and how natural products can be an important adjunct to a healthy lifestyle. So we mentioned your title at Fairhaven Health, but maybe you can tell us a little bit, a little bit about what you do for Fairhaven Health. My official title is product develop is, is VP of Product Development and Compliance. But at Fairhaven Health, we all wear a lot of different hats and we all work very collaborative, collaboratively. Uh, so we've been for the past almost 20 years now. We've been making products in the reproductive health space for both men and women. We try so that product development process, um, which I'm a key part of, um, involves 
trying to think of things that are going to make women's lives easier. So what are the things that the reproductive health issues that women are facing? What are they thinking about? What are they talking to their friends about? What are the things that don't seem to have an easy solution that we could maybe help with? So that kind of drives the product development process here at Fairhaven Health. And then we all kind of work together to develop the product, get it into testing, whether it's a supplement or um, one of our gel products or lubricants, and then kind of every step along the way to get that product on the shelves. That's a great segue to start talking, taking a deep dive into supplements. So the reason why I wanted to talk about this topic is, you know, even through my own fertility journey, I saw a lot of interesting behaviors of my own as well as other women. And I thought it would be helpful to talk to an expert like yourself to really help educate our audience about supplements and where they play a role. So let's start with the basics. What is the value of a supplement and how do they differ from vitamins? Maybe I'll take the first question first. Supplement maybe is a more general term for a basically a, a, a capsule or a drink that you might ingest that has isolated vitamins and minerals and or antioxidants or herbal components to it. So a vitamin is something you can find in food, of course, that's where that's the best way to get them. And then a supplement is taking those vitamins and giving a, another path to get them into you into your body besides eating them through food. So as I started with, my background is in whole foods nutrition. So I'm definitely a food first Person. So I think if I'm talking to friends and even, you know, our customers, the best thing you can do to improve your health is to eat the highest quality diet that you can fit into your lifestyle and afford, right? So the always food first. The problem and the, what it, I guess I'll, I'll frame it in the positive, the value of supplements comes in when I sort of realize that none of us do that diet part perfectly, right? So um, busy lifestyles, access, you know, for some people, it's simply access to high quality food, not we, we take for granted that uh, we can, I can run up to Whole Foods or um, my local grocery store and get fresh vegetables any, any time of the day. That isn't the case for all people in our country. So so when it comes to assessing how, what is the quality of the food we're eating, I think most people would say, yep, I don't quite do as well as I want to do. So this is where supplements can really make an impact on the, the quality of our health. And I think, you know, that only about 30% of American women rate their diet quality as very good or excellent. And so there's a gap there between what we think we should be doing and what we think we should be getting through our food and what we're actually doing. So here's a good place where supplements can bridge that gap. Also, or or related, nutritional quality of the diet has declined, um, not only because of things we can control, like how much processed food we're eating, how how many total calories, um, what's the balance between um, how many you know, whether we're plant-based or animal-based diets, how many added fats we're eating, all of that stuff are things maybe we can control. But um, even just things outside of our control are what the 
nutritional value of the food that's grown is and what is it what is the nutritional value of the food that's available so over time soils have become depleted in vitamins and minerals and that impacts the quality of the food so for reasons in our to sum up <laughs> this is kind of a long answer you can tell i like this topic um for reasons that are both in our control and outside of our control the the quality of our diet is not always optimal. And that's where supplements can really bring in some value. Would you say that, you know, one of the questions I had for you is, okay, 200 years ago, we didn't have supplement companies. So would you say that a lot of this has been driven by these changes in the quality of the food that's even available to us, plus the diet and lifestyle changes that have occurred as a result of that and our busyness and running around and both family, parents working, et cetera? Yes, definitely. I mean, all of those societal changes have impact the way we eat. And, and that hasn't always been a net positive for our health, right? So, um, I mean, it's not too many, I can, there's maybe not too many, for most of us, I'm, I'm almost 50. If I look back two generations to my maternal grandmother, um, they, they grew, I mean, they lived a, an urban lifestyle, but they still grew a lot of the food that they ate every day. So, you know, and I don't know barely anyone in my life that is more than a hobby gardenist, right? Like a gardener, they, you know, we, we don't depend on our garden for the food that we eat. We do it for fun or, um, and to supplement something, but we're not, we're not growing our own food. So even just that distance from the, the, the distance from the food in terms of how we're accessing it makes a big difference. And so 200 years ago. <laughs> I mean, that's only, that's only 75 years ago, right? So right. Um, 200 years ago, it was a vastly different situation. No, absolutely. You know, I think about, and I appreciate your background on, you know, supplements and the role food plays and the difference between what a supplement is versus a vitamin. Cause I do think we use generic terms and I wanted to make sure we cleared that up for the audience. I think back to my own journey over the past 10 years and how trying to have a child and and through that learning about health, how it's transformed my relationship with food. And I do agree with you. It starts with what you eat. And Mm -hmm. I've, I used to have a relationship with food where it's, oh, you know, I have to limit how many cookies I have. And it was like the focus of like how to try to avoid unhealthy and stay healthy. And now somehow, I guess, through the knowledge and through various shifts, I now view food as a way to nourish myself. And so Mm -hmm. it's shifted where, you know what, I'm in the mood for a piece of chocolate. And there isn't that resistance of like, I have to avoid. It's more of just, I'm satisfied. Oh, let me get a treat. And I think it's great much, much healthier self. And I think it's, it's a hard place to get to. And I don't want anyone here to think I have a perfect diet because right now I'm really, really busy and I eat um, a bagel every single morning with sausage. Um, and that's just how <laughs> it's really busy right now, but I still try to make my weekly bone broth. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but, but I do, you know, I, I think if we can all get to a place of transitioning to our, uh, with our relationship to food in some way, even if it's little things, it, it really could make a, a big difference in health. But back to supplements, because we do need them. This is our reality today. So tell us what some of the most common supplements are that are required by us humans, given the deficiencies in our diet and other factors. And maybe we can even focus on women specifically, if that's uh, relevant and helpful. Sure. Yes, that, that's great. So um, I, I think it's important to recognize that when we, when we talk about deficiencies in, um, in our diet and, and what that means for our vitamin and mineral status, uh, it's it's important to point out that we're not talking about stark vitamin deficiencies, right? So right. Um, th those are that's a relatively rare in the U.S. Thank goodness. So I've never known anyone that developed scurvy due to a vitamin D deficiency, right? Um, uh, or um, I have not known someone that got rickets from a vitamin D deficiency. So what we're talking about here is uh, an intake of a suboptimal amount of these vitamins and minerals uh, to um, really um, reach a more optimal state of health. So as we talked about before, we're not getting everything that we really need to, to maintain optimal health through our diet. And so the, the vitamins that I think most people can use more of through supplements are B vitamins. So B vitamins are often referred to as a complex, um, the B1, B2, B3. They work together for, to support energy production and cell division. And so they're kind of crucial to ev everything that happens in your body and they're water soluble. So your body uses them up and um, quickly and excretes them out. So replacing them regularly through a supplement can be very beneficial. Uh, another one we hear a lot about related to women's health is vitamin D. And I think that's a more and more is coming about, out about the importance of vitamin D, not only for pregnancy, wellness, and infant development, but also for fertility. So I think that's a, an important one to supplement with. And, and we see more, again, as the research is becoming more prevalent, we're seeing more not not stark deficiencies, but really suboptimal levels of vitamin D in women. And it's especially prominent in women in northern climates. So, you know, sun exposure is important for vitamin D, but even in places where there's lots of sun, we're so encouraged to uh, cover up with sunscreen because of, um, for, you know, skin cancer issues, but also for protecting our skin from, from the damaging effects of sun that we also limit our ability to produce vitamin D naturally. So that's a, that's a key one that I would always recommend. And then I think it, we don't talk a lot about trace minerals, but they're the, they're the minerals that you just need a little bit of copper, manganese, iodine, that they're, they're also cofactors in a lot of your body's processes. And so if you don't get enough of those, it can be impactful on your overall health. And by the way, that was a recent learning for me about vitamin D. And if you wear sunscreen, it impacts the amount of vitamin D that you get. I had no idea. So I don't know if it's new news to everyone, but I did want to call that out because that was a, an interesting fact. So thank goodness. Yes, I think it, it's 
it's a catch 22, right? Like yeah. you're trying to do the right thing in one way and it has, has an unintended consequence. So um, I, I try to do a little bit of a, a balance. Luckily I live in the Northwest um, sun exposure is not my biggest fear, <laughs> um, but um, I don't live in Southern California or anything where you have to cover up um, all the time, but yeah, doing a balance of that, like wearing sunscreen sometimes or wearing a hat sometimes instead of sunscreen, just, um, just being aware that um, some sun exposure without being covered up with sunscreen is helpful. Okay. So then these um, supplements that you had mentioned, are they in prenatal vitamins or even multivitamins? Or do you find that there's, you know, they have to also take these supplements to get the right amounts? You know, a, a pretty standard prenatal vitamin would have some amount of B vitamins, vitamin, some amount of vitamin D, and and maybe some of these trace minerals. So I think if you look for, and most multivitamins would do that. So I think, you know, there's a, we have luckily for us here um, in the U.S. for sure, and, and, and lots of places around the world, you can go to a, a drugstore and find a prenatal vitamin that would have most of those things in it to some amount. I ask because I know in my, fertility journey, I was, I'll just admit it, I was the person who did the research. And if I found something that seemed like it would help me, I added it to my regimen to the point where I probably was spending like hundreds of dollars a month on supplements. And unfortunately, with the way the healthcare system has evolved, and you have your seven minute appointment with doctors, and they're not spending a lot of time in medical school being trained on supplements, having anyone monitor that without my bringing it up was a challenge. I found right. that the naturopaths and the acupuncturists who I would you know, be able to talk to and, uh, and better understand that. So I think it's, you know, I guess, what would you say about those who are trying to figure out the right dosage and regimen for themselves so they don't fall victim to, oh, I found this on Google, let me add it to my list. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a really interesting point. And I, I glad that you brought that up because I think that happens frequently and, and, and there's, um, so I guess there's a, there's pros and cons to, to the approach of introducing individual ingredients and so I, I think a good example is if you Google women's fertility, one of the things that will come up is coenzyme Q10. So a lot of women who are looking for ways to support their fertility will take coenzyme Q10. And then they're also going to take their full prenatal vitamin. And then someone tells them that they should be taking more vitamin D. And then someone tells them, oh, there's this other, this other ingredient that is supposed to be helpful for fertility, myelinositol. And so, like you said, before long, you've got, you're facing 10 bottles of supplements every, every morning and thinking, I got to swallow all these down. So I think certainly that's a, that's a way to do it. We at Fairhaven Health take a different approach. We try to 
make it more convenient. So more an all-in-one solution where in one bottle you have your full prenatal vitamin that's going to cover all the bases of the things that we talked about that might be deficient in our diet, like the B vitamins, vitamin D, and the trace minerals. And then uh, adding in the targeted fertility ingredients like CoQ10 and myelinositol and some other things. So um, the if if we lived in a in a healthcare environment where we could get an hour appointment um, every week or every two weeks or at least a once once a month with a healthcare practitioner that could really decide through testing or some other means how much of these ingredients individual ingredients we should be taking. I think I'd feel better about the individual approach um, where you're you're taking, you can decide for this week, I'm going to take this much CoQ10 and next week I might change it. And it's winter in the Northwest. So I'm going to take more vitamin D these months than I will in the summer. Um, it's just, like you said, nobody nobody gets that kind of care these days. So choosing a high quality supplement that can meet the desire for a convenient solution and also an affordable solution in one bottle, I think has, has, um, there's a big, big demand for that. Now you touched on it just a little bit, but I wanted to dig a bit deeper into the statement you've made around, Oh, let me take a little bit more vitamin D this week and et cetera. So I've been having conversations with some of the practitioners that I work with for my own health. And I sat down and took pictures of every single supplement. And I said, okay, I can't take all these anymore. What do we do? And went through every single supplement. And it was a fascinating conversation because it was, one was you have way too much, too many B vitamins in your supplement regimen. It's covered in your prenatal. So stop those. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And then it was, oh, well, for example, colostrum. Um, I didn't need to take it all the time. I could take it only when I'm going through a really stressful situation and my body's going to be depleted due to that stress. Or that, you know, like when I'm sick, one of the recommendations was, oh, take monolaurin, whatever the dosage is on the bottle, uh, triple that and take it four times a day. Or maybe it was quadruple it and take it three times a day. Either way. And it's just these really interesting ways of dosing that's outside of the recommended dose on labels. And so I'm curious right. thinking is around that and, and how one would even know how to decide for themselves what's important. Because like you said, it's not like we get blood tests every week to see how we're doing. Right, exactly. And I think, I mean, it, it hits at an important question, again, that we that is related to the previous question. So yes, one of the many benefits of seeing a healthcare practitioner regularly, the same one, right, um, is that they can provide individualized recommendations for treatment. And then you, and you don't have to try and find that one size fits all product. Um, uh, but again, for convenience and affordability, some women want to be able to choose a product that that covers them for, you know, 90% of the time and that, that makes sure that they're getting the comprehensive nutritional support they're looking for. So what you, what you lose in that convenience and may, maybe affordability and time that you would get from seeing a healthcare practitioner that can make those individual recommendations and tweak that uh, regimen frequently 
you get with some peace of mind of just I'm meeting the, my my daily needs at a in a, in a convenient and affordable way. So again, it's um, you know there there's pros and cons to sort of the one size fits all approach yeah. that you get from taking a an off the shelf product versus getting that personalized healthcare. So. I would advocate for both (laughs) whenever possible. Um, Find that that thing that you can do that makes your daily routine easier. Um, Find a good multivitamin or prenatal vitamin that you like that that covers the bases. Find a fertility supplement that you like. Maybe they're all in one. Maybe they're maybe. Maybe it is two separate products. And then if you can find that healthcare practitioner that can address some of the, those things in a more individualized, personalized way. So I have two ingredients in uh, the prenatal vitamin supplement package that I wanted to ask about. One is related to CoQ10, and then the other mm-hmm. is folic acid. So I'll start mm-hmm. with acid. <clears throat> This is something I'm quite passionate about, given I have the MTHFR genetic mutation. And I've mm-hmm. been seeing a trend, and I saw it at the ASRM conference in October, around supplement manufacturers transitioning from folic acid to methylated folate. And I know that you mm-hmm. and Fairhaven Health is also doing this with its prenatal vitamins. So maybe you can talk a little bit about why that is an important uh, change. Fertilate are, are two are two main um, comprehensive fertility supplements for women are Fertilate for women and FH Pro for women. And Fertilate for women was launched onto the market in 2003, and it was really one of the first targeted fertility supplements available. And in at that time, the conversation around um, methylfolate was was very small and there were no good supplemental forms of methylfolate. So the, really the only option we had was folic acid, but as we've over the last two decades, you know, we learn more ingredient sourcing gets better. People come up with better options. And we've just recognized that with up to 40% of people having some type of MTHFR uh, mutation, that including folic acid in our fertility supplements really wasn't the way we wanted to go. So we were able to transition. We are any new product that we make um, uh, has methyl methylfolate in it. Um, and then we have over the last couple of years able to transition our Fertilate for Women product to from folic acid to methylfolate. And we just feel like that's you know we've always tried to stay on the on the edge of of what is the most quality, the best thing for our our consumers. And that's a change that we felt we needed to make to ensure that we were meeting the needs of the changing environment and keeping up with what people now understand about how folic acid is absorbed and metabolized. So maybe for those who don't understand the the basics of this, maybe you can expand on that. And and part of why I'd like to talk about this is, you know, I still do research on MTHFR and methylfolate and folic acid, and I find that, that there still seems to be controversy. I actually spoke to one of the leadership members of ASRM who 
you know, had written to me not that long ago, yes, the data is leaning in that direction of methylfolate being better than folic acid. So not everyone is 100% convinced. So I guess what is the difference just so our listeners understand? And why do you think there's still controversy over whether or not there's a difference? Because some still say, oh, just take extra folic acid, you're fine. I, I, I'll preface it by saying I am not an expert in <laughs> in um, MTHFR um, mutations. I I understand the the basics, and um, there are people who know way more about this than I do. So, um, but basically, the folic acid metabolism inquire, um, involves. So, to get to a, when you when you take when you eat something with synthetic folic acid or take a supplement that has folic acid in it, the body goes through a series of biochemical reactions to get it into a form of that vitamin that can be utilized in your cells. So one of the MTHFR mutation impacts one of those biochemical reactions. And so it sort of stops that breakdown of folic acid to get it to the active methylfolate that your body can use. So what we're trying to do by providing the methylated form of the same vitamin, vitamin B9, is to bypass that biochemical reaction that many people can't do because of the mutation. So um, the way I look at it is, is sort of twofold. From a kind of global health perspective, folic acid has been a huge net positive for the world. So in, by fortifying cereals and breads and with folic acid and by um, including folic acid in prenatal vitamins, over the last many decades, it has helped us prevent neural tube defects in babies, right? So the net positive is is huge. So to go around and demonize folic acid could end up causing some problems that we don't want, right? I think maybe sometimes the the people who are talking about the, you know, the science pointing towards methylfolate being better and all of that is a way of preventing that demonization of folic acid that, you know, we still want people, if they can't get their hands on a supplement with methylfolate, what, yes, please take, take a, a prenatal vitamin that has folic acid. I, it, that's my, my thinking. If you know you have the MTHFR mutation, then, then it really is advisable to choose a product that has methylfolate. And so what we have done, be, again, because we're doing a one-size-fits-all product, we want to safeguard for everyone, right? We want to make sure that everybody's getting vitamin B9 to help prevent neural tube defects, but we also want to make sure that it's as, as beneficial for everyone as possible. And knowing that up to 40% of people have that mutation, we want to make sure that we offer a form that, of vitamin B9 that they'll be able to utilize. What a beautiful answer. And I love how you gave the perspective of it's understandable around folic acid that we certainly don't want to demonize it because you're right. It has made a huge impact um, in a positive way against the neural tube defects. And I know it was even a challenge to convince people that women should take folic acid and thus the prenatal vitamin movement. And so 
thank you for that. I think that's such a great explanation. And I think you're right. If people can't get a hold of methylfolate, then take the folic acid because it's still extremely helpful. So thank you. Now let's talk about sure. CoQ10. So I know that there's two forms, ubiquinone and ubiquinol. And I've tried to do my own research to sort out does it matter which form you have? And I personally have not been able to come up with anything that I understood. And I'd love to get your perspective on, is there a difference? Are there watchouts for women who take CoQ10 or if they're looking at ingredients in prenatal vitamins about CoQ10, is there, and by the way, some, some manufacturers don't even list which form of CoQ10 um, is in their ingredient, but I don't know if you have a perspective on that that uh, we should be aware of. Yeah, I think it's interesting. This the subject comes up a lot because CoQ10 is such a popular and important ingredient for female fertility and for male fertility too. I I might have a, a different angle on this than other people, and I, I think this this comes into some questions about marketing and health and where <laughs> where the two overlap and where the two diverge, right? So there in the supplement industry, there's been a movement over the last many decades to push that ubiquinol is better absorbed, better utilized. And there are some patented CoQ10 ingredients um, that push that, right? So and I don't, I don't know that it's wrong to say that ubiquinol is highly absorbed. What, what I do know is those ingredients are very expensive, making it very cost prohibitive to include a therapeutic amount of CoQ10 in a uh, fertility supplement, for example. So, then you go back to, okay, so here's a problem. We want to make a product that women can afford, um, and we want to include an amount that will be helpful to them, and we want to um, make sure that we provide enough of the ingredient that is that it's helpful. And so you go back to the original research on CoQ10. So any, any of the original research that's been done to show the antioxidant benefits of CoQ10 have all used ubiquinone. So while we have this data out there on certain patented ingredients that are pushing this highly absorbable form, then we reconcile that with, well, there is benefit shown in this original research that says ubiquinone has lots of benefits for this thing or that thing. And, um, and then you look at how it works in the body and um, ubiquinone switches to ubiquinol and ubiquinol switches back to ubiquinone. So there's this easy transitioning from one form to the other in the body. And so my personal opinion is that it doesn't matter. <laughs> I right. think that either one is fine. And then, and so then it becomes a question of looking at the individual product and saying, how much CoQ10 is in it? Um, how can I afford this product? Um, and, and then knowing that in your body, if your body's looking for the ubiquinol form for one reaction, it can, if you have ubiquinone on board, it can switch it over. And so I'm, and, and vice versa. And I'm simplifying the, the biochemistry quite a bit, but that's the way I look at it. I'm, 
I look at it from a really practical standpoint that we can make a lot of this more complicated than it needs to be. And sometimes it's because we want to sell us a specific product or ingredient that we've patented. (laughs) And, and so I I take kind of a, a more pragmatic approach to it and looking at the original research, I think a very strong case can be made that, ubiquinone has been shown to have great benefit. That's helpful. And I I love that you think practically because I have noticed just again, you know, monitoring the women's healthcare space for so long that sometimes the answer is just really simple and we've just made it so unnecessarily complex. And I think it's created a lot of stress. So um, I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to talk to someone who's simplifying it. So thank you for that. And I will say it's not, I mean, that's a, it's a controversial opinion. Um, (laughs) And so um, I would always encourage women to do their own research, reach out to people to get different opinions and, you know, don't, don't take my word for it necessarily, but I feel like my opinion is informed, but it's also controversial. That's fair, fair statement. And I appreciate you sharing that. So there's a lot of supplement manufacturers out there. I know when I walked around ASRM, everyone was telling me why they're different and why they're trusted. And even I, who've been in this space for a long time, I've been in the pharmaceutical industry 20 years. I didn't even know how to determine what was you know, marketing versus genuine. And you know, I'm not saying there's only one good company and everyone else is bad. There's probably a lot of great companies. So how does one, when they're trying to order on Amazon or a given company's website or going to the drugstore, what can one do to ensure that they are purchasing a quality product given the way the FDA does not regulate the supplement industry in the way it does pharmaceutical products? Right. Great question. And I, I, I think I'll start with your last statement because I think it's an important distinction to make and um, good to have a, a general idea about the regulatory framework of dietary supplements. So we hear a lot of, um, in the news that supplements are not regulated, and that's actually not, not true. Um, I like the way you said it, that they're not regulated by the FDA in the same way that, they, uh, that the FDA regula- regulates pharmaceuticals. So yes, there's distinctions between those two, but the but it's not a true statement to say that dietary supplements are not regulated. There are um, FDA and FTC regulations covering the way dietary supplements are manufactured, the way they're labeled, the way they're promoted, different regulations for the manufacturers of the dietary supplements versus a company like us that formulates products, has them contract manufactured, and then warehouses them and distributes them. So the the whole manufacturing chain is governed by FDA regulations. And you often, so um, with that context is the answer to your first question is that frankly, it's really hard to know the good from the bad. The law of the land related to dietary supplements is that uh, GMP manufacturing is required. And so you see a lot when you're buying supplements, GMP certified or um, FDA registered. And those are, are kind of 
claims without much um, weight behind them. Anyone can say that. And that's really the law of the land. Like um, every supplement manufacturer should be GMP certified and they should be, you know, they should be subject to FDA audits and that kind of thing. That doesn't always happen. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm going to get to some maybe helpful information about how you separate the good from the bad. But to start with, it, it's actually pretty, pretty difficult to, to know about quality in manufacturing. One of the things that I, I always recommend is, is sort of to use your common sense. How would you make a decision about buying any other product, a cosmetic, a new cleaning product what would you what were what would be the things that you would look for um, in making those determinations and I would encourage you to do the same when looking at a supplement have your friends ever taken this product um, how long has the company been around what um, what is their marketing information like and this is one thing that I, I'd like to point out about Fairhaven Health I really consider us a health company not a marketing company and I think that's evident in the product line that we have that ranges from, you know, fertility monitors to supplements to lubricants and uh, gel products that are really aimed at improving vaginal health. So we have a whole range of products that are really centered on in, uh, supporting female reproductive health. We are not a marketing company and you can maybe tell the difference by when you see an ad on Instagram for a supplement that is done by an influencer that you know didn't really take the product um, or is being paid to take the product and have a fancy photo shoot with the product, then then I tend to think of those companies more as marketing companies, not health companies. And um, so look at the websites. Do they offer educational information that isn't just about product promotion? Do they have a, a range of products? Have they been around a long time? Those are the things that I, I really, really look at um, or want to encourage people to look at when they're making decisions about which supplements to buy. Another thing that I think is really sets some companies apart from others is their customer service team. Um, can you get someone on the phone? Do they have an, you know, a, a way to email them or live chat with them? And do you get a, a real person that doesn't just have a canned answer? Is there some individualized support? Those are the things that I think really make one company stand out more than another. Those are really helpful tips. Thank you for sharing those. Cause I know that, you know, I often even look at the seal, so to speak, and I use a lot of the practitioners that I've worked with and my women's network to determine that. But I, I didn't even think of looking at the way they have their support system set up on their website, et cetera. So that's, that's really helpful. Thank you. So, and Georgie, if I could add one other yeah, one other please. thing related to that that I think is important, kind of around the health company versus marketing company and the way dietary supplements are regulated. So just like any other consumer product, the FDA and FTC regulates what supplement companies can say about their product. So you know, as a as a company in the reproductive health space, we are not allowed to say that our products will cure PCOS, 
cure endometriosis, cure infertility, um, prevent any of those things. Um, and so if you run across a supplement company that is saying their product will cure your migraines or take away your PCOS symptoms, then you might wonder about the at least the familiarity that company has with the laws of the land related to the products that they're selling. That is a really good point. I know there's been a couple companies in the media lately that have uh, been investigated because of such claims. That's, that's, a, that's a good reminder and extremely important. I mean, it, it, it's hitting, it's hitting, I think they're, I mean, it's hitting all of the, fertility <laughs> companies. I think we're, yep. we're all having to address some of the ways we've marketed things and, um, and some have been more egregious than others. Yep. I actually just saw an article, I think it was this week, that the FDA is starting to investigate the impact of influencers on pharmaceutical products because you know they have such an impact in driving behavior and the pharmaceutical companies don't have to put claims that they do on like TV ads, et cetera, with these influencers. And so right. they may talk about how something was you know, positively impacted, but then they don't mention, oh, here are the possible side effects. So it's really interesting to see how marketing practices have changed even in the 20 years since I've been in industry and how the influencers are really making an impact and even the FDA is taking notice. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few years. Yeah, I think so too. The social, social media has really transformed the way we learn about new products. And so I think it's, it's exciting and interesting and, um, and, and the FDA has their eye on it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So two, two more questions. One is, what is the one thing that you want women to take away about supplements? Uh, I think, you know, the kind of bringing us full circle as I am a, um, a food first nutritionist. And so I think when we're looking to make a positive change on our health and for whatever our health goals might be, whether it's around fertility or whether it's around weight loss, there is no magic bullet, right? There's no thing that you can do one, one pill, one supplement, one, anything that is going to um, get you to that, that goal quickly or without effort. So starting with food, always doing, developing some sort of exercise habit that you enjoy, whatever that it is, it doesn't have to look the same as what your girlfriend is doing, or it can be the thing that you love, but establishing those baseline good health practices, and then using supplements to fill in the gaps for what you might not be getting from, from your diet. So that I think would be the takeaway. The, the other takeaway, one, one other thing I would say is just um, kind of adding on to what we've been talking about, try and find a company that you feel like you can trust in terms of their quality and in the, both the formulation. So it, the product includes everything that you wanted to include, but also in the manufacturing. And for all the reasons we already talked about that, that's not always easy, but reach out and ask a bunch of questions to the customer support team. And if they can't answer you, then that might be a, an indication that it's not not the product you want. 
Thank you. That's wise words. And I always like to end on an inspiring note. And this, by the way, you said was a perfect way to end, but I still like to ask this question, <laughs> which is sure. what inspires you? Oh, wow. That's, that's a great question. I, um, you know, I, I am really inspired by the farm workers in every community that work tirelessly to bring food into our grocery stores. I, I have a passion for food justice and farm worker rights, and I just really appreciate all the men and women that work um, every day to grow our food. Wow. That, that Even the way you said it is inspirational. Thank you. And it is true. There's so much that happens to get food on our table. And it is, it is important for us to take notice of all the hard work the farmers do. So thank you for reminding us of that. Thank you. This has been super fun. I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you and have this conversation. <laughs>